This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children, including bloody cum infidel, cockwombler, and puke nugget. That's as Islamophobic. <laughs> we'll see what Faisal says. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that anybody has ever strung those words to get like bloody cum, I, maybe cum infidel, maybe I don't know about bloody cum infidel though. I don't know, but we've had that written in our like archives notes for a yeah, really I've, long time and I thought it was time to break it out. We've been I guess. we've been we've been sitting on that we've one. Been for sitting a while. on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jinx, hello. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Natalie. Yeah. Hey. Hey, everybody. That's that's me. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Then, I'm, I'm, I'm present for another week of this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Or, I am, I'm, I'm physically sorry? in my parents' basement. I'm in my parents' basement this time. Not even in my own basement. I'm in my parents' basement doing this. I mean, um, moving on up. Move, moving on up, yeah. That's, how the, song, that's yes. how the song goes, right? I'm at mom and dad's house for, for a few days with the, the kids. and um, Deluxe yeah. basement. At, I don't That's not how it goes. In Connecticut, yeah. That's where I am. <laughs> in, yeah, in rural Connecticut. Uh, anyway, why don't you tell us about our God of the Week? All right, so... Um, our god of the week this week, we're going to Greek mythology again, um, and I chose Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. So Aphrodite is, I mean, everybody probably knows, she was just a total hottie, and so all the gods of Olympus, you know, they, they wanted her. Um, Zeus, however, didn't want like all-out war to happen amongst all of his dudes, so he decided to marry Aphrodite off to this just crusty old dude named um Hephaestus um he I think he was a god actually he was a former god of the week he was the one who like got thrown into the sea because he was an ugly baby anyways yeah um Hephaestus and Aphrodite they were you know essentially married by Zeus they were like the beauty and beast of mythology um she probably had some other guys on the side um but I mean Zeus assigned her to this old guy so you know that she went and did her thing anyways so supposedly also she had some magic girdle a gir- is a girdle like a corset or something i don't I, know I, but i have no firsthand knowledge so yeah so whoever wears it though becomes an object of love so i guess that's a kind that's a thing you know anyone would want to get their hands on um aphrodite later became venus to the romans and um fun fact i guess venus is the only planet named for a lady god so um that's Aphrodite, goddess of love. Hope everybody feels some love this week. <laughs> that's, that's super, super duper convincing. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, anyways, I guess we should um, we should say at this point because we're going to have an interview next. Um, we're not talking about cannibalism this week, as promised in last week's episode. Um, so I well, I lied to you that. guys. I guess what you don't know that. We could have. Well, yeah. But so I, I said last week that we were doing the, the cannibalism thing, but we're not. We're going to do cannibalism next week because, yeah. And because we we did an interview with um with Faisal that just seemed more timely to, to just get out this week and then cannibalism next time. So...
this evening, we are thrilled to be joined by Faisal Saeed Al-Muttar. He is an Iraqi-born writer, satirist, computer geek, and human rights activist, and an advocate for secularism, human rights, and the free market of ideas. Faisal is the founder of the Global Secular Humanist Movement and the Secular Post. Thank you for joining us tonight. It is awesome to have you here, or there, but with us. Thank you yeah. for having me. So we, I know we have a lot that we want to talk about um, tonight, especially in kind of the world of current events and all that stuff. But I want to get started just by introducing, you know, who you are to our audience. Um, just kind of going with uh, the story of your life um, kind of under Saddam Hussein in Iraq and uh, just your experience growing up there and how you how you got here really so so i don't know just yeah, you you have a hell of a backstory yourself yeah sure so uh i was born in iraq after the the first gulf war um and uh, that was during the saddam regime uh, so i grew up my childhood uh over there and then uh the u.s in- intervention happened in iraq around 2003 and that, uh, that was my first introduction to Americans. Uh, there were times going in front of my house, our house uh, in uh, Baghdad, and then the fall of the regime, and then uh, the Iraqi elections, the first Iraqi elections, and then the civil war. That that was kind of my uh, introduction to daily violence. Um, so. I lost my brother and my cousin over there, and I lost many friends. And I got, I start after the Iraqi elections, I started becoming, um, or actually before, I mean, by the time of the Iraqi elections, I was very afraid that the that when the sectarian Shia party was going to win the elections, is going to start driving the Sunni minority away, and then it's going to lead to a civil war, and that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. So, um, as a result of that, I started becoming a target of, of some militias, including Al-Qaeda in Iraq. So, I had to run away from Iraq or escape by end of 2009. Um, I was supposed to go to UK, and then my visa was rejected. So, I stayed in Lebanon for a while, and then I went to Malaysia and did my studies over there. And then I applied for the United Nations Committee for Refugees. So I came to the United States as a refugee in 2013. And since I came here, I my biggest goal has been to kind of bridge the gap between um, kind of the West and the East, I mean, vaguely the West and the East, but also uh, between those who believe in liberal secular values within the Middle East and those who want to support them uh, over here. And uh, the fact that I'm bilingual and uh, uh, multilingual, but bilingual in terms of English Arabic. But so I tried to do that for the, I've been doing that for the past now three years and a half. And uh, here I am. And here you are. <laughs> Something that I, as I was kind of thinking about this this interview and I was looking at some of the um, 
the videos and, and quotes that are available online, you know, from you. Uh, there was one one quote that stuck out to me just from your experience, um, you know, before you've moved here uh, about being an atheist in Iraq. It's like um, being the only sober person in a car filled with drunk people and you're not allowed to drive. I I, I, I mean, that just seems like such a perfect sentiment. And like, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what it was like being an atheist there? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that quote is, is a result of, uh, I think it was my interview with the thinking atheist. Uh, so we're making a video about the contradictions of Islam and, and, and so on. And uh, so he asked me, like, what do you, what do you think of being, being a negative in Iraq? I mean, for me, the way I see it and the way I still do um, is that the, the country is generally ruled by extremely irrational people. I mean, I mean, I mean, Sarah Palin would look like an intellectual in Iraq. So imagine that. Um, so people who are extremely sectarian, um, I mean, hardly religious, and they, uh, I mean, irrationality is just the mainstream. So living, being like somebody who has basic understanding of science and, and reason and so on, it's like you feel you... Like every, everyone is ruling over you, and the society in general is very irrational, and uh, and it's being led by very rational people. So it's so you, you kind of feel that you are pretty much the only sober one, and the, everybody around you is uh, deluded or drunk with uh, very bad, archaic, and irrational ideas. So that is kind of the the. I mean, I, I consider myself a bit lucky in a sense that, uh, I mean, I did not grow up in a very conservative family. My family, uh, and my parents especially, and my dad that I'm close to, um, is very liberal and very open-minded. So the way that I grew up may sound kind of weird to say, because uh, it's a very rare experience, is that my dad um, told me like to think for myself when I was young, and uh, so I encouraged the idea of critical thinking and, and individual individualism in that regard. Um, so I started questioning these things from a very young age, and I stopped believing in God and religion also from a very young age. I, at the beginning, I dropped the religion, and because it start doesn't make sense at all. And that was before the violence and all of the civil war. I mean, I started stopping believing in religion by age of 12. And uh, I dropped the God thing by about 18. So I used to, I, I went through a transition from sort of a Muslim or culturally Muslim into deist, into atheist. Um, so to, to a large extent of large point, most of my life I've generally been a very skeptical person. So when I'm doing all this scientific inquiry, learning about the Big Bang and the theory of evolution and stuff. And you see everybody around you believe in Adam and Eve and uh, that Muhammad threw through a wing, flew through, through a winged horse. He went from Mecca to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem he went up to the seventh sky to meet God. And people like literally, at least they claim that they believe in this story Literally, like they actually believe this. 
and I'm like, what the fuck? Question mark. Um, is that do actually people believe this stuff? And, and this has always actually been my question is that until today is that I still don't understand with with all this scientific knowledge that available over there and and the fact that you can access them very easily in today's world. Um, and people are still, I mean, obviously it's not only Iraqi problem, but, but in Iraq, it's, we're still in the, not the third world, maybe further than that. Um, so like with all the access to knowledge right now, and like, how can people still believe in these uh, superstitious, trivial ideas? And uh, yeah, so like the, the, I mean, my first question, I mean, when I was in my deist, uh, deist uh, transition, I was like, if God is like w- with all the universe that he created and all of that, does he really like wrote these books about God is watching you when he ma- when you masturbate? Like he really cares. Maybe, maybe. We don't want to judge people for their kinks. No kink shit. Yeah. But it's really amazing. Like he created all these planets, all this amazing universe, but he somehow cares like whether you're gonna have anal sex or missionary position. Like he's he's really concerned he's wa- about he's this. watching what you and do. And that's all like the time. seems to be yeah, his all the time. Everything. Yeah, and it's like he's so concerned. Like he has no better things to do other than like watching you all the time. And especially he cares so much about sex and he cares so much about what you do in your bedroom. And he leaves like he never revealed any of the scientific discoveries, but he, he he's he's very busy in re- re- like all the revelations were all about what you should do and how you should treat other people. And all that whole list of things to not do, like fucking a nine year old, is wasn't one of them. Yeah, or also like don't rape. Uh, I mean, one of the yeah, I think it's that's something common between the Bible and the Quran is that there is no mention of rape as a bad thing and there's actually no mention of rape to begin with i, th- I think in the bible you there you can just say hey i'm sorry and then the priest is like okay yes yeah, so, so there's all these verses for example like taking captives of war like one of the famous verses that now isis uses and other uh uh jihadist groups use is that like there's a verse called that like, part of it is called was like what that's what your hand possesses so the, he's talking about like capturing sex slaves during the during wars and invasions and conquering and stuff, and there is no mention whatsoever that like don't rape them. Like it's it's like it's okay. Like you can do whatever you want, and there is hardly any concept of like consent and what we regard today as a a very important thing. Uh, none of that is mentioned in the holy books. I mean, what they what most of what they care about is like women are literally treated as um, as kind of like an object in which like you can buy and sell and uh and it's it's really worrying that there are people until today believe in these kind of ideas well, yeah and, and then the issue too is when some of these beliefs um in these ridiculous ideas creep into just our daily life in society like people that believe these things and these ideas about whether it's women or whatever are making decisions um based on belief like and it's fucking ridiculous. yeah uh, it is i mean the, the most thing that i mean i have been kind of advocating for um and most importantly like in iraq and places that i grew up in like syria and, and lebanon and others is the combination of religion and guns is that like when you 
when 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 countries become a theocracy, it means the army becomes under the government, and the army has the guns, and and if this theocracy with guns is generally a very bad thing, is that when a theocracy is 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 uh, combined with with the guns and the police and the army and so on, you see what you're seeing right now with from ISIS to Saudi Arabia to Iran to many other countries in which the combination of law and order and religion are mixed together. And that's generally a very bad thing. And, and, and there has like many victims of it, as you can see, and somebody needs to stand up to that. And, and the first step kind of is to take guns away from religion is to take the, the religion out of governments first. I mean, if people want to believe in a talking snake or uh, believe in a winged horse, um, that's fine, unless that they are doing it in their own house. But the difficulty is that many people uh, cannot differentiate between, and that I think is, is, is to some extent an Islamic issue. I mean, there is an a author uh, that Sam Harris interviewed recently called Shadi Hamid, who is from Brookings Institute, which I think has been an advisor for President Obama on Islamic affairs and stuff. Um, so he wrote this book called Islamic Exceptionalism. And uh, the, the, the idea behind it is that it's hard to differentiate between Islam as a political ideology and Islam as a theology just by itself, as a spiritual theology. Um, so Islam kind of has exceptional, and I, I kind of agree with the point, and sometimes I'm always questioning, but the, I mean, it's kind of a mainstream idea that Islam itself has to be a political force. So, like, it's hard to separate, I mean, there's this subject of Islamism versus Islam. So, for example, one of my dear friends, Majid Nawaz, is trying to kind of build a wall between Islam as a religion or a set of ideas and Islamism, which is this use of Islam as a political force to enforce it on society. Um, I mean, good luck to him. But at the same time, the the distinction is hardly being made. And and, and Shadi mentioned this point that I probably agree with. Uh, he said that Prophet Muhammad himself was not just a, a philosopher. He was not just a theologian. He was also a statesman. I mean, he built a state. He built a state in Medina and he built... Uh, and that state eventually grew up, uh, grew and conquered land from India to southern Spain too. So it's hard to differentiate Muhammad just as a theologian and Muhammad as as a politician or a political activist or whatever you want to call him, political statesman in that regard. Um, so if somebody looks at Prophet Muhammad as an example and a role model that someone should follow, um, it's really hard to distinguish the, the Islamic aspect of Muhammad and the theological aspect of Muhammad. But there are some many efforts within the Muslim community and the, within the Muslim world that try to separate about that, okay, like Muhammad was prophet, so he was the only one who can do this. Now we live in the 21st century and the verses don't apply. Um, so the question is, how can we make these people make their argument more popular than the other? And so is that is that part of what your mission is? To, to work that. to a large extent I mean uh, uh, to a large, my my mission I mean what I kind of uh, identified right now is that I want to do my best to empower the voices of 
of secularism and liberalism and the like the idea of religious pluralism and human rights within the Muslim world as a counter narrative to theocratic forces and extremist jihadist uh, forces. So I think that um, we I, I, I am one of these people who believe that change can come from within and uh, and I me seeing the US invasion of Iraq and seeing the use of force uh, to build quote unquote democracy, uh, has not been a very successful one. Because if the people in this region or in their country do not believe in these ideas, they don't believe in liberal democracy, or they don't believe in uh, secular stuff, then uh, having an, a, an M16 and putting a gun on their faces is not the best way to do it. I think that if we support these voices of change and uh, and make them kind of the mainstream and make these ideas... I see it's more of a battle of ideas. If we are able to empower these ideas and make them the dominant ones, uh, that I can see that as a positive change. And to some extent, just like what happened with Christianity, even though there are some distinctions need to be made between the two religions, but the fact that in Western Europe or the Western world right now is the version of Christianity that exists today within the Western world is very different than the Christianity that existed during the Crusaders or the medieval ages. So... I think right now the Muslim world isn't in this period. This is in the medieval ages, but with a 21st century weaponry. So how can we move Islam or the Muslim world from the medieval ages to the 21st century? And that's kind of the biggest yeah, question. Yeah, because, because as you're... I was going to say, if you figure that out, collect your Nobel Prize. Yeah, because, I mean, I think that, that that's the question with, with any in any place that we want to change people's minds or sway people in one direction or another. And like, what, what do you, what do you find or what do you think might be an effective way to do that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, as I said, like, I, I, I think that what we're seeing right now with ISIS and Al Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood and all these forces, I see them, I always compare them to AIDS, not HIV. I, I, I see them as the symptom of the disease, not the disease itself. I see the disease as the ideology that is feeding these terrorist groups and that's feeding this extremist uh, an extremist mentality that's led to these uh, the rise of, of, of these terrorist groups. So what to do about it is to find a counter narrative that is that works with people that people can resonate with. And I think the most effective one is the one that, first of all, spoken in the lo local language, something that people can relate to. I mean, I, that being said, I mean the efforts, for example, like Richard Dawkins uh, has. There were like ten. There was an article I think on the on friendly atheists and others. There were like ten million downloads. I think either in all the Saudi Arabia or all around the Muslim world. So there is a st like there is still demand for Western quote unquote Western intellectuals, but at the same time, you also need. Arab intellectuals and Pakistani intellectuals or, or many other countries of the Muslim world in which people in that region can relate to more than they can relate to somebody studying in Oxford. So, and these people exist. It's not that, uh, I mean, I, I come from Iraq. I, I did not grow up in Norway. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not Scandinavian. Um, so, like, those of us who believe in these values actually exist. The question is, how can we make our ideas, the most dominant ones. And I think that the power of media, and the power of, of, of uh, the internet right now and, and social media, there was this 
video I posted a few days ago about this woman who used to grow up in Saudi Arabia and in very close society, she was wearing a burqa and very highly religious and so on. And she said that she was introduced to like ideas about the theory of evolution and the Big Bang through, through Twitter. Like, because Twitter is like one of the most used social media apps in the in Saudi Arabia in particular. So the, the fact that if, uh, if we can continue pushing these ideas, putting these ideas of scientific inquiry, human rights, uh, through using these channels that the people are using on a daily basis, I think we're able to change some minds. And within the Muslim world, I mean, my hypothesis is, is that as somebody who grew up in Iraq that went from a phase of dictatorship to a phase of uh, Islamic uh, theocracy within 20 years, um, is that people in the Muslim world generally, or that can be said about the East as well, is that it's a very collectivist mentality. And by collectivist mentality, I mean, you don't need to create a critical mass to change the society. Sometimes you only need to change the leadership or you can change some individuals who have power over the leadership and somehow the rest of the people will just follow. So just like, I mean, not the best example, but like to win the presidency of the United States, you don't need to win the popular vote. You can just win the electoral college. And that's what happened in the last elections, right? So you don't need to you don't need to change a hundred percent of the mentality in the Muslim world and make them accept secularism and liberalism to to actually create a change. You can empower as much as you can, obviously, but you don't need to empower the majority. And if you get these people to be in positions of power, then change can happen very dramatically. And you can see, for example, pictures of Egypt forty years ago and pictures of Egypt now, in which more, most women, not most, but like many women in Egypt 30 years ago used to wear less headscarves, less niqabs, all of these things. And just by a change of leadership, you see that women become more religious and, and so on. The same pictures you can see in Iran, for example, 50, 60 years ago or 40 years ago, in which you see like Tehran University, it looks like a university of Cambridge, um, and then because of the Iranian revolution and change of leadership and so on, you'll see that the society starts getting regressing and becoming more and more religious. So sometimes you don't need to create all that critical mass. You just need to empower the most possible people you can um, and make them part of the leadership that they can make decisions for the current society and, and the future. So when you look at a country like Saudi Arabia, how do you, you know, they executed somebody, an atheist last year because they, they've, I, I think they, didn't they pass a law that says if you're an atheist, you're a terrorist? Like, how do you? Yeah, yeah, which is, which is funny coming from Saudi Arabia. Right, right. Well, and, and we're, you know, of course, the U.S. is BFFs with them. I mean, the definition of Saudi Arabia, just of like a simple, I mean, I don't know if it's correction, but in Saudi Arabia, even the Muslim Brotherhood is considered to be a terrorist group. So their definition of a terrorist is a very different than you would think. You would think. Well, yeah. Well, like, yeah. Is that so? Is that not an apples to apples comparison? Then, like their their usage of of the term terrorist. Their usage, I think, of the term terrorist is kind of very similar to Iran's one. Is that if you are opposed to the government, you are a terrorist. Okay. And the the in Iran, for example, they have this. I think a law. That says the criticism of government is a crime against God. So because the Ayatollah is kind of the representative of the last Imam, the 12th Imam, Imam Mahdi, 
and somehow Mahdi is connected to God. I don't know whether it's through Wi-Fi or NFC technology. <laughs> um, so the so so crime against like uh, uh, disagreeing or dissenting against the Ayatollah Khamenei is not only viewed as disagreement with the government; it's viewed as a crime against God, that you are anti-God by criticizing the government, and that would include Muslims criticizing the government. So if you criticize Ayatollah Khamenei, you're criticizing God, and that's a crime, that's a blasphemy. And I think that within Saudi Arabia, it's kind of a similar case, that if you dissent against the government, and, and um, I mean, there is a title for the royal family or the king of Saudi Arabia, is that he is, quote-unquote, the protector. In Arabic, we say Khadim al-Harabayn al-Sharifayn, which is like the protector of Mecca and Medina. So criticizing the king is somehow makes you kind of against the protector or the God-chosen protector of the of the uh, holy sites, and therefore you are a terrorist. There's a very vague definition that's like very specific to that country. Saudi Arabia is the most difficult country to deal with. So, uh, I mean, as I said, like you don't need to create a critical mass in all around the Muslim world, but if you ask me about what is the most difficult country to change or susceptible to change, I would say Saudi Arabia after ISIS. I mean, there's ISIS and there's Saudi Arabia. They're kind of the closest to each other. So it's, I mean, but but that being said, the majority of Muslims don't live in Saudi Arabia. So that's, that's where the hope is. And so kind of, I, I want to go back to kind of the idea about about social media and about kind of the internet and all and all of that in, I guess, really shaping the way that, that we all think about things. Um, I mean, I mean, you you do a great job on social media of getting stories out there and giving your uh, you know opinion and commentary on like current events and stuff. And um, and there something happened recently that I I wanted to bring up um that I thought you gave some good commentary on um Delta Airlines. Can we can we yes. can we talk about about Delta Airlines and could you kind of give a little little bit about what happened and and I like I I would like you to share your your feelings about. Well, would you like to share the story first for people who don't know about yeah, it? Why or? don't you give a little, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's this dude who record. it's just like a minute of video. I believe his name is Adam, I, I'm going to pronounce the last Adam, name. Adam Saleh, yeah. Saleh, okay, yeah, I was going to do it wrong. But he, he posts this video, and I guess I guess he's got a few million uh, followers on YouTube. He posts this video of him being escorted off a Delta flight, I think this was what, Monday or, or Tuesday of this week. And he's getting escorted off and he just keeps saying i said one word in arabic and now i'm being i was on the phone with my mom and now i'm kicked off the plane and then in the back you see like three or four of course white people saying you know clapping and cheering or or whatever that he's being escorted off but and that's about where the video is it's it's just a minute long and you just get just get that and it sounds absolutely awful and when i think i saw an hour or two after he posted it it was like 17 million views or just something absolutely ridiculous and and of course i mean you see that and i think that's kind of what we're, we're getting at here one of the biggest problems to that is you have just one side of the story and what happened and i think especially a large company like that is going to be extremely sensitive to anything related to that especially in this kind of social climate that we have now i'm actually like i became familiar with the guy a few days before this incident happened, and there was this article on, I think, Mashable, 
that said that this guy was trying to like he did multiple quote unquote pranks mm. uh, about like kind of he's in the airplane screaming in Arabic. Uh, there was this story that the Australians said it was fake that he kind of like went through the luggage and he traveled across like he went from a destination X to destination Y and he did it through the luggage and uh, and then through I think Tiger Air Airline. And then the Australians say that is false. Like nothing like that happened. We have you on video so, not doing that. Yeah. So even though the, there was this video that he's like being put into luggage and he went through the luggage uh, place, but I think like most of it was just fake. Like it's just they filmed yeah. it probably somewhere else. And so I became familiar with the guy like about three days ago. Like I don't really know him or, but actually know people who know him because I live in New York and connected to many Arabs here in the neighborhood. So they know him. Uh, so anyway, so I was like, I saw this matchable article. I'm like, oh, you know what? Fuck this dude. Like just a ridiculous kid and doing some ridiculous stuff. Then this Delta Airlines thing happened. So my first gut reaction was like, uh, okay, this knowing that this guy is is uh, fake, let me do some research about, uh, or he faked some stories before. Let me look at the, let me do some research to some of his videos and stuff. And I saw there was a collection of videos. And, and leave aside that, like I saw some of his tweets, some of my friends sent me about like him saying that 9-11 is an inside job. And he said that like Bush was the one who did it. And there was another one saying that like the Boston bombers, the ones who did the Boston bombing were like innocent. Oh my God. Okay, uh, so, all, so all that kind so, of like conspiracy type of... It's all conspiracy theories that like Muslims are under attack since 9-11 and uh, all of these kinds of stuff. So the guy obviously, I wouldn't say has an agenda, but he has been indoctrinated with very, I mean, he's, he's not, I mean, I always consider him adults. I mean, I, I am not that much older than him. So the, so the, the, the guy like has been indoctrinated with all this, kind of conspiracies that everybody's out there is there to get you and and uh, a lot of victimhood mentality and so on so he i think he saw this uh and, and I, i've looked at there was a person on on reddit who i had to verify the story because reddit is not the best place for stories <laughs> so he, he like so they, they uploaded their their uh, tickets uh, pass their boarding pass, and they said that they were on the plane, the same, like the same plane that they are talking about, that they said that this guy was making so much noises and he was disturbing the passengers. And Delta Airlines, and I I, I am a frequent flyer of Delta Airlines. I fly Delta all the time, pretty much all the time. And uh, How much are they Delta has that? Uh, about like uh, 50 falafel sandwiches every month. <laughs> uh, and that, that's what you live on. So, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what that's where you get the belly from. Um, so uh, I, I, Delta has a policy themselves is that they want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and relaxed in the plane and stuff. Uh, and they have done this like I think about two weeks ago, in which they banned a Trump. Like there was a Trump supporter or something who was shouting about Trump and stuff. They banned this guy for life. Okay, they banned him from flying Delta 
at all because that's one of their main policies is that you should not disturb the passengers and everybody is tired and everybody wants to have like a comfortable experience. You're really giving dope to the hard sell here, just by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope they will give me a job. Um, <laughs> I, sent my, I sent my recipe a few days ago. Just kidding. Um, so, uh, so that's the policy. And, and, and he uh, misused, he was disturbing people and he was probably trying to do another prank of like trying to uh, scare people or uh, shouting stuff that people felt uncomfortable, and rightly so. Like, the, 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 I'm one of the people, and I do not deny it, okay? If somebody in a plane is shouting Allahu Akbar, I will tell you for a fact, I'm not going to be just laughing, considering what I've been through. And, like, hearing the word Allahu Akbar and seeing suicide bombers blowing in front of my eyes, let me tell you something. This word, for the lack of a better word, triggers me, yeah. okay? Um... So this guy was probably trying to do some of the shit, like trying to uh, uh, make create disturbance, whatever that means. And uh, some people were uncomfortable, and if you have a lot of more, a lot of people uncomfortable in the plane, they kick you out of the plane. In a statement, they they said there was about twenty people that complained too, and so that that was the other part was if. So that's actually like what really disturbs me the most. About so so this is kind of a trend. Um, uh, just, I think, last month, a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, is that there was a case of a woman in New York, uh, in Grand Central, who said that there were Trump supporters who were trying to attack her, and they were shouting at Trump, 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 blah, 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 and they took her hijab, and she felt uncomfortable, and, and all of these things. And fast forward to the real story, actually, her dad had a curfew, so she couldn't get back home. Uh, so she was late, and according to the New York Post, said like she was drinking and have a, has a Catholic boyfriend, okay? And coming from a conservative family, she was actually trying to fake things up. So in that, I don't think she, I think she went, things went out of, out of proportion. She didn't know that she, it would go that far. Um, so anyway, she lied. She said that there were attacks against me, and that's why I was late to the house. And so she lied about the Islamophobia, quote-unquote, case. And just two days ago, there was another case in Michigan in which somebody was also lying that she was attacked by Trump supporters. And the fact that because many of us, including myself, uh, to some extent, has a, have a very negative image of Trump supporters um, for right or wrong reasons, it's, it's uh, easy to... Because the climate already there. The climate says mm -hmm. Trump won the elections... And he won it to some extent as a result of racist demagoguery. And uh, now we're seeing cases of people getting attacked by Trump supporters, and we would just believe them. So what these people do is that they try to use this climate uh, of to some extent fear of Trump and rise of Trump and the right of rise of white supremacy and all of this kind of stuff to advance their own agenda. And there are a bunch of narcissists who just want to turn the attention to them. And so they are using this climate and they're lying about it. And that's what actually hurts because they're race. There are actual, yes. And, 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 and I can say that for a fact, there is such a thing as anti-Muslim bigotry and anti-Arab bigotry. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, and I, I've been a victim of it myself. Like there are so many cases. And if you look at my mail inbox, uh, one day I can show you some of it. 
um, in which people call me all this type of race, racial slurs. Uh, and uh, I mean, whether from the left or the right, from Uncle Tom on the left and Sad Nigger on the right. Um, and yes, there is such a thing. And, and obviously, that's obviously race. It's about my race. I mean, they're not uh, talking about my ideas. They're attacking just my looks mm -hmm. and stuff. So yes, there's such, and that's me, who's like non-religious, to some extent, very well integrated into American society, and I've been a victim of racism, and, and so many others have. So what these people do, I mean, when, when people, see people like this constantly lie about racism that does not exist, and then eventually the story comes out that it was a lie, what it really hurts are the real cases of bigotry. Because if, if, if you see a hundred stories a year in which all of them are fake, and then less people will start believing the real cases. And that can be said about many other cases, in, uh, not all Islamic, but in that case is that now, for example, if I walk around whatever city in America or a suburb or a small town, and somebody attacks me, like physically or, or verbally, and I say I've been a victim of racism or somebody did something to me, I can assure you much less people would believe me because they will say, oh, he's just another Arab. Uh, we've heard this 10 other stories who were fake. He's just faking it to get attention and so on. And that's really sad. That was, that was actually like I've been posting about this very frequently to some extent mostly for that reason because false cases of racism harm the real victims of racism if and, and that can apply to any human being like if i hear uh i mean some extent can be said about like for example not to mention but the black lives matter mm -hmm. uh, and I, I i consider myself i agree with their main principle and i agree that racism against the black in, uh, individuals exist but at the same time there were cases that has been advanced by individuals of black lives matter there were complete lies that said, like, the police did it because he was black and he was a white police officer that killed a black individual just because of his race. And this person was just a pure, innocent person who, who was just walking in the street. And then the, the, the police officer, because of his racism, took the gun and killed him. While, in fact, if you look further to the story, it's much more complicated than that. Right. I'm not saying that racism does not exist or racism against black individuals or African-Americans does not exist. But it's just that when you, I mean, the, 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 the stories, there are so many real stories. Why the hell would you want to fake, fake stories to advance your agenda? If your agenda is to fight against anti-Arab racism, anti-Muslim bigotry, etc., why not use real stories to advance the thing? Why, why have to rely on false stories because of the already existing climate, so you can just get attention for yourself. I mean, and that's because of, obviously, people just believing and, and, and going to confirmation bias and so on. And I've done that. I mean, I can do that myself. I mean, most Americans don't know anything about Iraq. They probably don't know what, where Iraq exists on the map. Like, I can tell them that, oh, in Iraq, we have dragons and they eat babies and uh, there are uh, zombies who walk on the streets. And probably people will still believe me because they already have a confirmation bias about Iraq and war and ISIS and extremism and all of these things. So to some extent, because people already 
have preconceived notions and they already think that this is like a bad place. Some people may misuse that uh, or misuse this ignorance plus compassion, I mean, ignorance plus empathy to advance their own agenda and to get the attention for themselves. And by that, and when the story ends up to be false, the most people who are victims of it are, are people who have the real stories. And you can even look at it with the Dakota Access Pipeline, where you have this group of people that have been historically treated like shit by the U.S. government, protesting the U.S. government, basically petitioning to to stop the pipeline from going through their land. But they're just outright lying. Well, we need to protect our water supply. You got a new fucking water supply this month. And they know that and they're lying and they're using that lie to further their own agenda because they know they're going to have so many people, especially on the left, that are going to rush to their support because we have somebody that is a person of color claiming that they are a victim here. And so I need to rush in and defend this person. And just like with, you know, anytime you criticize Islam, any anything you say, anything you yeah, say. Yeah, so it's like I, I posted something. I posted something last week, and like every other comment is, "You're a fucking Islamophobe. You're this is this is so bigoted." Can Can you tell me more about the post? Can you like Can you elaborate about this? What it was was it was a picture of a cat uh, reading the Quran, and of course the Quran's upside down uh, in the picture, but the cat's reading the Quran. Uh, in the first panel, and then uh, the second, and it says, "When you let your cat read the Quran," is is the is the quote. And the second panel has a similar looking cat holding a knife to a dog. Oh, I, I know exactly what which cat are you talking about. <laughs> I know exactly because because there has been this meme about this cat about like cats getting radicalized, and it has like a like a <laughs> knife, right? It has a knife getting so like. Uh, so there was this like cat reading ISIS material before reading ISIS material and after reading ISIS material. And after reading ISIS material, sounds like a, like a Quran with a like there is upside down and a Quran and like a dog and she's trying to behead him. Is that the same? Uh, I think so. yeah, I, I think so. And then it just yeah, this one just had a different caption on it. I think I understand what you're saying is that um, so there is this concept. I think my. The, the, the coining of the term, I don't know who coined it, but I think it's my my friend Al-Rizfi, who coined this term called Islamophobia phobia. So there is this concept that there are people who are, af- I would say, afraid or don't want to perceived as like their uncles who watch Fox News. <laughs> you know, so, so there is this fear within the liberal and mostly like left-leaning people who have uh, either like come from the south or uh, grow up in a very religious or uh, kind of xenophobic environment, um, who will be the first like so so they have this like rejection of all their heritage or all, all their uh, kind of background. So what they do is that so when because this like I, I would say like anti-Islamic anti-Muslim uh, content and and judgment ha- has been pretty much occupied for a significant amount by the either the right wing or the far right. And considering that Bush administration waged two wars in quote-unquote Muslim countries, um, so th- what they see is that I want to make sure that whatever Dick Cheney or George W. Bush or Whoever, like the the, the right wing uh, or far right uh, folks, 
So whatever these people gonna say, I have to say the complete opposite, so I don't sound like them, or I don't uh, advance their agenda. So if if Trump says we should ban all Muslims, my first response should be no, 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 no. He is completely wrong. Islam is a peaceful religion, and uh, Muslims are wonderful people. And my girlfriend is a Muslim, and she is the best ever. Okay. So just go go completely counter. Just right? Go completely counter, yeah. so you can do your best. Yeah, not yeah. To... They, they just want to differentiate themselves from whatever whatever the the other people are saying. The bad yes. To them. So so, and that in that climate, unfortunately, uh, nuance is dead. I mean, R.I.P. Nuance. It's been nice to meet you. Um, is that because of this polar opposites right now? This conversation about Islam and and Islamism and jihadism and and, and role of religion and extremism have became extremely difficult. Like for example, like as somebody who does it very frequently, I can say with expertise on this subject, um, is that. Because of this polarization that's happened, and between the far left and the far right and all of that, it's became like people, like many people cannot comprehend the concept, for example, that it is totally different to criticize Islam than to criticize all Muslims. Many people cannot differentiate between these two concepts. When I say like, for example, I think that there is a link between um radical Islam and ISIS and like the values of Wahhabism, Salafism, which, which are kind of sex within the Sunni faith of sex of Islam, uh, are a motivating factor for what we're seeing right now with ISIS and Al-Qaeda and stuff. What people hear, unfortunately, so they ignore all the specifics that I have mentioned, all the, 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 the nuance that I've added. I didn't say like Muslims are terrorists or Muslims are ISIS. What I said is that there is a sect within the Hanbali school of Sunni Islam that advances the ideas of takfirism, which is to declare non-Muslims as Muslim, sorry, Muslims as non-Muslims and declare that unbelievers should be killed and so on. When I say that, what people hear, unfortunately, is either that, actually from both sides within the far right and the far right, what they hear is that I'm talking about all Muslims. I'm talking about you are a Muslim dentist and you are a Muslim cab driver and you are a Muslim teacher and you are a Muslim uh, girlfriend, which in fact, I'm not ta- saying about that because they cannot differentiate between criticism of ideas and criticism of people. And just like what uh, Al-Rizvi in his latest book, The Atheist Muslim, said that when I criticize smoking as a habit, I'm not saying, I'm not being hateful against smokers as people. You're criticizing an idea or a habit or an ideology is different than hating the people who adhere to it. And we apply this almost in our daily lives about all the other things. Like you can, somebody can say that I disagree fundamentally with the with the Republican Party, but then you go to a football game and the person sitting next to you is a Republican and you tell them, oh, do you like the Dallas Cowboys? And they say, yes, you become friends. Like that's for my kids. But the... Yeah. That the thing is, like, we can apply that almost onto everyday basis. Like, we interact with people from different ideologies, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, communist, atheist, uh, Republican, all of these stuff, Democrat, all these stuff. 
And we can differentiate between someone who holds a doctrine and the doctor and the and the person himself. But when it comes to the subject of Islam, this has become extremely blurry. And I mean the best example of that was the Bulmar discussion between uh, I mean, Bulmar Sam Harris versus Ben Affleck, who is one of the best intellectuals of the 21st century. And uh, I think it was Nicholas Kristof. <laughs> and I think there was the head of the uh, RNC there. So when Sam Harris was talking about statistics of extremism within the Muslim world and, and, and so on, and the circles that Muslims belong to between conservative Muslims, liberal Muslims, um, and jihadists and Islamists and so on, the first response from Ben Affleck, who I should repeat, one of the best intellectuals of the first century, was that Sam Harris is being gross and racist. So oh. he was not able to differentiate between the fact that what Sam was talking about was a doctrine that some Muslims or, uh, or people adhere to. And that doctrine... Uh, of imposing religion on, on society, uh, anti-women's rights, anti-gay rights, and so on. These beliefs are common within the Muslim world. Uh, they're not believed by the, all the people, but they're believed by a significant amount of people. In countries like Egypt, in which uh, the belief that apostates should be killed is more than 70%, and so on. So when I'm saying that 70% of Egyptians believe in anti-believe in apostasy laws and believe in discrimination against apostates, I'm not, I'm attacking the belief, not attacking every Egyptian I see on the street. And that is something that many people are very unable to comprehend, which is kind of very weird considering that they are able to comprehend it about other ideas. And that created this very big confusion. I mean, within the left and the right is that within the left, when you criticize Islam, it means you're criticizing Muslims, and and that means they have to be defended, defensive of Muslims, or Islam as well. And when you do that on the right, when you criticize Islam, they think that you're also criticizing Muslims, and that's why that justifies that we should ban Muslim refugees, and we should ban uh, Muslims from coming to America, or whatever agenda that they that they have. So everybody tried to see their thing, things within their own angle and just use whatever commentary that you have to either uh, further on their own agenda or uh, stand completely against you and calling you names of like Islamophobe and which kind of now doesn't mean anything because if you criticize anything within Islam, you're an Islamophobe. And uh, yeah, and so on. So that's kind of polarization is has become kind of extremely harmful. And you can see that and this trend has been going on through Europe for for a while. And you can look at the Austrian, Austrian elections and now what's happening with the France and, and, and Germany um, is that what you have is, is either people who say there is no problem with Islam on the far left and people who say we should ban all Muslims on the right. I mean, the last elections in Austria, there was a party which is the reincarnation of the Nazi party which was running for elections called the Freedom Party, which now, like just a few days ago, made a deal with Vladimir Putin and the far right within Russia. Uh, and then the other party is, quote-unquote, the Green Party, which is kind of far less crazy than Jal Stein, but that doesn't say much. Um, and see, so like you have all these polarizing conditions in which 
nuance is, is that. And I mean, with Germany recently now with the Berlin attacks, um, many people are talking about the fact that the far right in Germany may, may rise again. And I think the last time we have seen the far right rising in Germany was not really a good thing. So I hope something like that would not happen again. And and the only way to do it is just to be honest and nuanced about this complex subject in order not to further xenophobia and also at the same time not to further jihadist extremism. And I think there is a something in between. There is a balanced position that someone can follow without being pigeonholed into the one side or the other. And so really what you're I mean, you're you're doing a great job of just trying to communicate all of this to people, right, with with social media and your various projects and everything that you're working on just to get all of these messages out there. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually, um, you you have kind of an exciting announcement, right, that just came up today. Yes, definitely. Something you're working on. So can you share that with with us? Sure. Um, thank you for reminding me of this. I kind of forgot. Yeah. Um, so just a few hours ago, I was meeting with an editor of mine to write a proposal to publish a book. Uh, the title that we suggested is War After War, A Middle Eastern Solution to Middle Eastern... Uh, sorry, A Middle Eastern Answers to Middle Eastern Problems. And I'm trying, trying to do it through the book is to try to interview and talk about also my story and my solutions, um, and interview many people within the Muslim world who adhere to the ideas of liberalism and secularism that uh, and, and human rights and so on, that most people in the West are not even familiar with. So I'm trying to highlight the voices of positive change that can actually change things 100% of what we are seeing right now, with all the rise of extremism and so on. And so the book is partially going to be about me as a memoir and how did I reach these conclusions and and why do I believe what I believe? Why do I think this is our solutions? And I'm going to interview a large amount of people that most of their content is available only in Arabic or, or uh, others and try to highlight them and actually make it show that there is hope in the region and these are the type of people that we should stand with in solidarity whether through just emotional support moral support or financial support so this is what the it's, got, it's kind of like a book and a project at the same time because I'm doing that already with my Facebook page and my Patreon and trying to do with my podcast is to also try to do the same so I'm trying to, to make these people known to their fellow Arabs and their fellow Pakistanis at the, on one side, and also be known to the world, the Western world and others, and try to create a, a movement of solidarity with them, and hopefully we can make them win. Well, that sounds awesome. I mean, I know we're excited to to see this happen and like have you back to talk about it when it's done and everything. But I would love to. It, in the meantime, then, like while you're while you're working on all this stuff, where can people find you on the internet if they want to? Well, just... I, I try to hide myself from the internet. Uh, um, well, that I mean, the, the easiest way to follow me is that they go to my Facebook page, the the verified 
So the, you can see multiple profiles of me and stuff, but I recommend them to they go to the verified one, which is facebook.com slash F-A-I-S-A-L-S-A-L-M-U-T-A-R. And they can constantly follow what I'm being being up to. And uh, they can go to my website, which is faisalmutar.com, and my Twitter and so on, which they can be... Because I, I work in multiple projects and I do so many things. So I don't have one specific project. But the most important one that I'm hopefully going to get by February is that I'm starting an organization called Ideas Beyond Borders. And the concept of Ideas Beyond Borders is to advance the, co- the causes that we all care about, of free speech, human rights, and the voices of pluralism around in the Muslim world. And hopefully we can expand to the Western world. So I'm going to make an announcement about it maybe in the next episode. Um, and I can talk about the organization, the structure, and when we get started. But as far as I know is that the lawyers are going to start working on it by January, and then we get the papers by February. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for joining us tonight. And um, we know you'll be back to talk to us again. So um, this will just be kind of to be continued next time. So thank you so much. We still have a lot of work to do before we can make podcasting (laughs) great again. Let's make podcasts great again. Thank you. This week, the reason we love the internet is the Facebook page, Things That Are Not Aesthetic. I almost made it without laughing. <laughs> so, this page, um, I mean, it just posts things that are not aesthetically pleasing, which <laughs> sounds... <laughs> It sounds absolutely as miserable as it actually is. Like the, I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh my gosh! I'm like I'm having. You can't even. You can't even. Like shuddering, like looking at I mean, the, the spam Oreo cover. That's like well, very well done, but like how horrifying would that be to put in your mouth? Disgusting. She, but then, and then there's like, <laughs> and there's like Sonic and Tails making out. You know, like Sonic the Hedgehog, and Tails, the little sidekick. They're just. Going at it, yeah. Oh, that that was right, sort of right above the spam Oreo. There's um like somebody wearing like Doc Martin style boots, but they're duct taped to stripper shoes because because why not? That's like Um, a that's like a yeah. Oh, then there's real there's really chapped lips. I'm just gonna just gonna go right past that. Oh, there's toes with like pointy toenails. I I don't. And and poor poor like. Poor like Steve Buscemi, like he, ha- I'm sh- I have to imagine he, he. I mean, he's doing all right, so he probably doesn't give a shit. But yeah. <laughs> somebody like already not, no. but they made him into like a like nine piece like puzzle thing that you would slide oh, as a yeah, but, like, <laughs> like his eye. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, I don't even know. Or, no, or um, we have two stairs leading into a wall. Like, it's 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 exactly as described. Or a what what looks to be a slice of pizza, only it's some very fatty marbling of like a piece of steak. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the this is oh god, I think I just oh this is like a bottle. Like a medicine bottle, but then there's all, to- I think it's all toenails. I think it's all fingers and toenails that are just like dumped out.
Oh, is um, that what that was? I couldn't. Oh, I was glancing at that earlier nails, today. I think it's nails. That is absolutely okay. what it is. Oh okay. my goodness, that is. It's fingernails. I mean, that it's is gross. that is not it's aesthetic. Gross. You're correct. No. That's a lot no. of toenails. That's disgusting. This is the kind of I thing. Would. It's like, no, I follow this page. Um, of course I do, and. It's like if I'm scrolling through my news feed, sometimes I just see something and it's like, okay, can I scroll any faster? Because that's disgusting. Um, but like that's oh, that's I that's I don't even know. Like that has to be at least how many toenails would you say that is? It's it's way it's way too many, and I it's it's way it's too gonna many. whatever so, the number is ends in thousand. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of nails. That's a lot of work somebody did to collect it's, that. Ew, it's and more, there's like hot dogs it's floating. More than none, it's like, okay, so much. I'm good. I'm I'm good. Like I, I think I've seen enough. Well, once you get to hot dogs like floating in a sink, you've you've peaked on the internet that day. So um, is that that is peak internet? I I think so. I mean, it's just it's like it's just hot dogs in a sink. I I hate us for doing this, but you know people are gonna go look at this and look for hot dogs floating in a sink because anyone who listens to this show probably is gonna or probably is already following a page like that <laughs> there's like there's probably there's probably could be like a venn diagram of people who listen to our show and then people who follow all these really weird um internet pages like they probably already know of the existence of these things but it's, but why not talk about bottles of fingernails yeah yeah and on that note, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast. Uh, give us some money to buy a beer or like six. Uh, you can also find our full podcast archive at scienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast. Follow Natalie on Facebook as Skeptical Parenting, myself as a science enthusiast. And if you can't throw money at us, I, you can still give us like five stars on iTunes and all the whatever things that you people listen to us on. But if you can give us money, just like James Alice, all four of the Michaels, Chris, Sarah, Janet, Amanda, Astrid, Andrew, Jeff, Susan, and Trevor have done, we would be incredibly grateful. Natalie, hit us with a quote. The essence of the independent mind lies not in what it thinks, but in how it thinks. And that is Christopher Hitchens. Good. I mean, that says it all right there. Yep. And next week, I believe you are talking to Buck and who else about so, eating people? Okay, so um, Buck Mulligan, um, who has been on this show before and who's on League of Nerds, um, and... He and I and James Williams, our other guest, um, had a had a lovely discussion about cannibalism. Um, so we're coming to you with that next week. You're welcome. Or I'm sorry. I it, I mean it's definitely a little bit of both with that one. It is it is I'm sorry and you're welcome because yeah. And but it, it was fantastic to have Buck back for a conversation about something weird because he's a fucking weirdo and james is awesome but yeah i mean no he is but, but, but is also a fucking thanks, weirdo. i mean thanks for doing the show buck like it's not like <laughs> shit on our guests here hey well you know he he gives it he gives it back enough so it's it's okay have you seen our exchanges on twitter yeah it's uh, that would require me to like be log on twitter. twitter yeah yeah, no. Be on Twitter more no, than just getting sends, Trump tweets and being like, "Holy shit!" This guy. No, Buck, Buck sends me like 
DMs of like furry gifts. It's 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 weird. Ooh. It's weird. And any yeah, it's it's creepy. He's creepy. Um, like that's but not I love my you, thing. Love yeah, it's, it's not my thing at all. But like, but he he finds so he finds weird. weird stuff. And like anytime there's like a Smash Mouth related meme, he tags <laughs> me. So like so that's that's our relationship. And and I am I am super fortunate that he. Um, that I don't he occasionally entertains doing that. the show with us. No, I mean, no, because you know what? Here's the thing. Do I really have a problem with it? No, I think it's funny, but I feel like I should just give him shit about it because, because why not? Just that—that's what friendships well, are. Now, built on. now I want to know what's what these Smash Mouth memes are because, like, they have to be fucking yeah, awful. Just and anywhere, anywhere he finds Smash Mouth, I, uh, yeah, he he tags me. Um, but yeah, the, one of my favorite one of my favorites is like it's like um, friendship um, necklaces, you know, the ones that are like half hearts, and it and it has they have Smash Mouth lyrics on them instead of like best friends. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really it's that fucking is... funny. It's on my phone. It's really good. I'll, I I mean I would give you that as a friendship necklace, Dan. I would I'd give you Smash. It would Mouth need necklace. it would need more Harambe. Of course. I mean, I, would, I have. Maybe I, I would a, like. I, I would present it hanging on a gorilla statue or something. <laughs> I have a friend who's making me a Harambe uh, wall calendar for for uh, 2017, and they said, "Do you do you want it to be the same picture, or do you want it to be like some of them to be?" Giant? And I'm like, I could I could not decide if I want like the same one, so that yeah. everybody that sees it in my office is like, like this is not funny like why do you think this is funny it's like you think it's funny because you don't think it's funny but i don't know it, yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be surprised uh whenever that shows up so i can't wait for that that's that's my life that's what i have to look forward to here so that's your life and um yeah well that sounds good and uh yeah, i'm sure i have something like that to look forward to some kind of <laughs> do i do i have a calendar coming my way i don't i fucking hell yeah well, well everybody had spending. a good Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. This is uh, yeah. Oh yeah. man, happy yeah. whatever New Year. Happy something. Fucking 2016. <laughs> it's almost over. I don't know. Yeah, we... Oh uh, Jesus! Fucking Christ. Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're sharing a brain tonight on this one. The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC, all rights reserved.